edition of Comfortably Unnumb, the official podcast of the Umbrella Society. My name is Blake Anderson. I'm the program's manager here at Umbrella Society in Victoria, British Columbia, and I'm also the host of this show. So I was looking at the download stats of this podcast and was pleasantly surprised to see the reach this program is having outside of our part of the world. Uh, folks from Europe, uh, the United States, the East Coast of Canada, Botswana, well, maybe not Botswana, but uh, all reaches of the globe are listening in. Um, and this really exemplifies the point that addiction knows no nationality or demographic. Uh, this is a human issue that can affect us all regardless of our background. So welcome to folks from all over the globe listening in. That's really cool to say. Um, in today's podcast, episode number nine, as we're nearing the end of our first season, we're looking outside of our own organization for the first time, and we're wanting to speak to members of our community who have battled their substance use challenges and paved a road to recovery for themselves. I'm really pleased to have Trevor Bodkin on our show today. Trevor is the executive director of HeroWorks Victoria, which is a charity that renovates the spaces of other charities and nonprofits who serve the vulnerable population. Uh, the work this organization has done in our community is astounding. Uh, it's completely transformed places of recovery and healing, um, places such as New Rose Therapeutic Recovery Center, uh, Salvation Army's ARC program, uh, Kool-Aid's Downtown Community Center, just to name a few. Um, the work done uh, is largely done by a, a massive group of volunteers from the community, coordinated and directed by a dedicated staff. And Trevor is a larger-than-life personality uh, who is instrumental in bringing it all together. Um, another key aspect to his role is fundraising. Uh, so Trevor is a very outgoing and visible member um, of the community. He's always the face of many fun and engaging community uh, fundraising events, often attracting some really positive media attention. But behind the happy-go-lucky, gregarious exterior, Trevor works really hard to maintain his recovery as his past has come with many struggles. Uh, as an individual coming from a trades background, Trevor experienced firsthand how hard it is to reach out for help in an environment where problems just aren't discussed and substance use is part of the culture. So I'm happy that Trevor has agreed to do this and I'm thrilled to have him on the program today. Okay, Trevor, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem, Blake. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, yeah, this is uh, quite a, quite an occasion for us. This is the first time that we have um, had any conversation with people outside of the umbrella uh, kind of veld. So, um, you know, really, really, actually, this is really fitting to have you on. Um, I feel you're such a, a prominent member of the community and, and someone just through your work at, with HeroWorks, you know, we always see on, yeah. on the news and <laughs> uh, just, you know, in their papers and everywhere and, and just doing such great work out there. Um, but what struck me when I first met you, I think it's been a couple years ago that I met you, is just how um, open you were talking about your recovery and uh, your recovery journey and just, you know, being proud to be in recovery. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know if we get that. We have a lot of people who are, you know, doing great work and are, are you know, seeing success in recovery, but don't talk about it. So I, I was, I really admired the fact that you can just speak to it, you know, just um, and kind of normalizing and kind of taking that stigma off of addiction. So, you know, I really appreciate that. So I know you're going to be part of our upcoming recovery campaign. I thought you'd be a great person to, to bring on in and, and kind of pick your brain. Thank you. No, I appreciate being here. I spent 40, uh, well, all my adult life uh, sort of being ashamed of who I was and, and some some challenges are some parts of my personality that were tricky and and I think uh, what I found in recovery is I'm just I'm just not I'm not interested in doing that anymore so right. you know 
the bulk of my recovery now revolves around accepting myself for who I am and, and showing up in the world as all of me because I have, you know, honestly nothing to be ashamed of right. like so many other people who have uh, encountered substance misuse and, and addiction and had their own journeys through mental health and uh, all that. They've, uh, just like them, I, I deserve uh, a great life. I deserve good things and I deserve to be accepted right. uh, for all of me. Right. That's, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And I think that that's an attitude that's it's great that, you know, and we are seeing more people, you know, having the courage to kind of, you know, step out and, and kind of, you know, be, be confident and, and speak to all aspects of their life. And, and I think it helps people, obviously, that are, you know, still going through their addiction, kind of, yeah. you know, seeing that and, and building off of that. So well, it was it was somebody sharing their story that uh, that really opened the doors. I didn't get cleaner right away after hearing his story. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Terry Edison Brown is from Anowin House, who we all sure. know and love in yeah. the community. And I'd had the good pleasure of working alongside Terry on some projects in community and really didn't know his story. And it was uh, it was one one night when I was really in my shit and and uh and struggling and I was loaded and and I stumbled across his video him sharing his story and and I'll remember I'll never forget and he knows this I've told this to him this a million times to his face it's right. like it was the first time I saw because I respected that man so much uh and then I learned his story afterwards I was like Right. Maybe there is a life after this. Like, if right. I can get clean, which I didn't think was a possibility, and I didn't think life was going to be manageable for right. sure, but I was like, you know, if I can do this, there might, there, be an op there might be something on the other side of this. And so, you know, right. I'd love to say that's where I turned the corner, but I didn't. And, uh, right. But, but it, planted, you know, it planted the seed, obviously, yeah. and it kind of resonated. Yeah. Totally. And so to that end, it's like, you know, it's not for everybody. I respect people that, that, that don't stand up and, and can't share their story or are just not in that place. Mm -hmm. I totally respect that. That's a choice you make, and, and that's a choice you need to make for your health. Right. And, and I totally support that. But I think there's some of us that do need to stand up who can take it on and, right. and share their stories because it does, you know, and I've been told many times, just as you noted, yeah. like it does make a difference for somebody. Huge and, impact. Uh, and yeah. I don't want to take the most selfish years of my life and not make them of benefit, what I've learned of benefit to somebody who might be standing where I, I used to be. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know that's you know we were, we were discussing about the you know the nature behind these podcasts and the real goal of these podcasts is to really just share those stories because who knows what you know story may resonate with somebody and may plant that seed and maybe get that wheel of recovery going. That's that's our, our thought and our and our hope. So um, yeah, once again we appreciate you coming in and, and talking about this. And what I always like to to do is to get a little bit of a backstory. Um, you know, obviously you're you're in a place now where you know kind of loud and proud and recovery yeah. is working well for you. Obviously, it's not, you know, uh, the roots where you came from. No. Um, you know, could you dive back? And it's, it, you know, up to you on how far you want to yeah. dive back. But could you give us a little backstory of, of kind of where you were before you entered recovery? Yeah, you know what? I used to think I was super unique and had it really, really tough. But I've come to learn, you know, there's a lot of people that have very similar stories to myself. I uh, I grew up uh, uh, in Colville Hill, Cowichan area. Um, I was born in Vancouver, but moved here. I was still in diapers. My father was an RCMP officer, uh, local Mountie, um, very well known in community, both for his job and his, his hobbies and life outside of his job. Uh, my mom was an accountant. She worked full time at times in my life and, and uh, was a stay at home mom for other times. My home life was, was great. I had no problems at home. I, mm. my beautiful, wonderful sister was a year younger than me. And we've already always, uh, you know, sort of been ad, uh, adverse to one another you right. know, in a loving way. But yeah. uh, 
um, you know, my, my home life was great and I, I loved it. And uh, my challenges really in life started as soon as I left my house. Um, so when I left it, and for a number of years, I grew up on a ranch too. So, and that, I love that. That was the best part of my life. Okay. You know, being able to have my own little motorbike and right, check on the cows and right. work with my dad. I mean, this is a theme that keeps coming up in my story as my father. And, um, and, uh, and, you know, looking back, my mom modeled some behavior too that, uh, that I took on, um, that, uh, that just didn't serve me well later in life, but I'll get to that in a bit. And, uh, sure. you know, um, but all was well. It just, when I went to school, I was not held uh, in high esteem from my contemporaries. Uh, and it was, you know, elementary, the first day of elementary school was super traumatic for me. A young man got, uh, got injured quite seriously by a, a, the hands of another student, like as I was walking into school. So oh, wow. like I, my f very first memory of school was very traumatic. And, and, um, I just remember for like two years, uh, worried about this guy, some guy I didn't know of named Travis was going to hurt me. Like, right. because this kid ran out of school, like Travis hit me with a chair, Travis, you know, right. so that's kind of the start of that. And then, you know, at best people were kind of indifferent to me. I didn't do well in elementary school. Um, just no self-esteem, no confidence. And, uh, um, yeah, I just didn't apply myself and, uh, and I was picked on and, you know, I used to make a lot of excuses for the way I was treated. Like I had funny hair and I, and you know, I didn't try. And, but really looking back, there was no excuse. I was a good kid. I was, right. you know, I had a lot to offer for the right people that would open their heart and their mind to me. And, right. um, I'd get anxious and I'd say weird stuff. I just got, you know, my sense of humor was just really dry and it didn't fit in. So, uh, a lot of judgment there. So I couldn't, you know, I lived, not really liking most of my teachers because they didn't really appreciate me and um, not being treated well by my my uh, my peers. Right. Um, going home, I just like basically couldn't wait to get home again, and that's that was my my happy spot. And that's a hard hard place to be when you're spending so much time at school. Yeah. When, yeah. The majority of yeah oh, your, your time yeah. you're just worried. Yeah. We'll get you know, and I went through it right. Like I yeah. just went through all the you know the the anxiety. Like looking back, I had no idea what was in before, but all the sleepless nights and right. not want to be there and um, just not wanting to go. And, you know, elementary school was really cool. You know, for the most part, my dad was a cop. And then in junior high, it became very tricky because, uh, right. you know, he's busting parties and breaking up parties. And it always seemed to come back on me at school. And, and this and, is, and, you know, a pretty small town, too. It's oh, not yeah, right. Everybody knows everybody. Yeah. yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like, right. from kindergarten to grade 11, I was around, I was with the same people that I started my school career with, right? Like, mm -hmm. from... I mean, I'd say 50, by the time I hit grade 11 at Cowichan High School, 50% of the students were people I'd grown up with right. since I was in kindergarten. So, right. you know, it was, it was nuts. And I ended up, because of that, I was like, you know, nothing's going to, good is going to happen here. I'm going to have to, so I had the opportunity because we were in Mill Bay at that point to go to Belmont and Vancouver and uh, Langford. And, um, and I did that. And um, yeah, one of the best decisions I had ever made mm -hmm. looking back on it. But um you know, I found myself in a high school where people didn't have that pre that prejudgment of me, and um, and I just immediately felt more comfortable around new people that I, that didn't know me, and and my dad, you know, wasn't breaking up parties in that area, so I didn't have to right. worry about that. And yeah. um, I kind of started to find my sense of humor, and and so my grade twelve year wasn't terrible. I still didn't perform super well. Sure, I still had a challenge with applying myself and prioritizing the right things and having a long term vision, but. 
um, yeah, I started getting invited to go to parties and stuff like that. And I fell on alcohol very, um, you know, around, I think later than most people that I hear mm -hmm. of in my circles. Right. Uh, but around 18 years old, I started drinking at parties and, and, um, you know, I've heard it said before and I agree wholeheartedly. Like it was like, I found myself, you know, immediately that lie, that, that lowering of the curtain and that, um, the, the inhibitions and just being comfortable around people. Like it really, I just, um, it brought out a whole new side of me. And I jokingly used to refer to myself as the human party favorite. Cause I was, you know, now I was getting invited to parties because people are just like, it doesn't start till you're there. And I'm like, right. that's for, for that little guy in that yeah. time in his life, that was a huge responsibility. And it was also something I was hugely proud of. Right. You know, I was wanted, I was getting, you know, people are saying crazy things like, you know, we're not even gonna it's not even gonna be fun until you get there i'm like right. yeah you're right you know? so all of a sudden this identity is being totally. formed around the substance essentially yeah. right yeah substance yeah. And, the, and the personality and the, and, right. that i had when i was on it right and uh so you know i graduated uh i had no interest in um and going back to school, I think my parents would, would have loved me to go to university. And mm. I mean, they're happy with the decisions I've made otherwise. But, uh, you know, my father, I uh, grew up on a farm. We had built a house brand new. We had renovated a 100-year-old house. Not just my my dad, but my sister and my, my mom. And uh, both my parents, it's like their work ethic was second to none. And that was something mm. that was just drilled into me growing up was, you know, there's not too many problems in life you can't solve from being, you know, if, if you're at work. Right. If you go to work, you make those paychecks. So you, you know, your payday will make a lot of problems go away, you know, right. or not happen. So I really took that to heart. And my dad was always like, "There's, uh, there's nothing you can't have if you don't, you know, work, work your ass off for it and right. uh, and go get it. You can have anything you want. Just go get it, right. you know." And uh, and my mom, same thing to this day. Like, you know, she needs to retire. I got to tell you, but um, but just she's just uh, puts in so many hours at work. Like it really is something that's um you know that's what i mean like that's one habit that i picked up from my mom and my dad that sure you know there's a there's a dark side of that for me and uh and uh, so i just found my whole identity in work i i found my way onto a job site because i was like i'm not going back to school and my dad said it'll take a year and go go work and nobody was paying my construction money right, right? like right. for entry level yeah. i walked onto a job site i built a house i'd renovated a house i grew up on a farm i was immediately embraced by the people around me i right. needed very little training this gold mine basically so, oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah right you know yeah. and like yeah, and know a how huge without, yeah. work ethic and right. you know and that saved me to a certain extent or you know i guess the other perspective is postpone the inevitable right so sure. yeah you know like i was able to work through anything i could go out drinking with the guys and and uh and show and be the the life of the party and then i quite often i'd be the only one on the job site the next day right right okay. i'd feel like hell and I would still get yeah, up and go. I'd, yeah. be, I'd get up and go because that's what my dad taught me. Right. You know, I had many instances of me coming home from uh, from drinking at a party growing up, uh, like in, in high school, and and my dad waking me up at seven in the morning and said, you know, he would never get mad. He'd just be like, you can come give me a hand in the yard since you get mm -hmm. got all this time to sleep in. I'm like, I'm right. hungover, right? Yeah. And so, but that was the lesson: is you get up and go. You can right. you want to be a man and and live like an adult and drink. And you got to take your licks. Yeah, in yeah, the morning. right. Yeah, this yeah. is how you pay your dues. So. Right. You know, so uh, construction, I uh, immediately was around people that um, I could identify with and um, who took me in and, like, 
my hard work paid off, man. Like that's all that mattered. My right. sense of humor, like because I think I was a lot more confident and felt a lot more connected to the people around me. Um, you know, a lot of them weren't cut out to be doctors or lawyers, to be right. to be honest. I mean, <clears throat> there were people that didn't fit in other places too. It was great. Right. Yeah. And to this day, I love the construction industry. I love the people. Um, I will always have one foot, at least one foot in the in the industry, right. some somehow because it, because of the people. I mean, it's just a, an, a, an amazing place to be, an amazing bunch of characters, right. and uh, and I love it. And so, I uh, because of that work ethic, um, I was pretty much well, I was I was a foreman, but Tom was twenty five, twenty six, in front of uh, in charge of framing crews which uh, had its challenges because there's, you know, there's some guys that were a lot older than me that figured they, uh, they had earned that spot. And uh, right. I just quietly remind them, like, I know where you were on wing, wings night because I was there with you and I know who was here Wednesday morning, right? So, right. Right. you know, that might be part of it. Yeah. And uh, so, and it was. And so I just kept working and working. And then when my father passed away, um, uh, and when I was 25, it uh, I had just started taking leadership roles. Um, uh, yeah, it, it hit, hit me like I just wasn't ready to lose my father. I was right. terrified, honestly. Yeah. You know, I had been in this bubble in construction where, you know, I had this rather you know sort of cliche idea of what a man was, and part of it was based on the way I was raised and how my I saw my dad uh, model or demonstrate it. Um, and I thought I was doing okay, and I thought I was all grown up, and then I lost my dad, and I was like, I just literally kept thinking, like, I haven't learned everything I need to learn. Like, you don't know what you have until it's gone, right? Yeah. And so um, that was a really, that started a really tough period in my life, and for a couple of years after that, I got, um, yeah, it was the first time in my life I didn't perform well at work, and um, uh, one of my foremen, uh, or another co-foreman, uh, took me aside. He said, I just can't, you're not even safe to be here right now. Right. And so life was starting to roll over me a bit. And, uh, cause I didn't, I didn't know how to process. I didn't know where to go to talk about what I was going through. Right. Uh, that foreman that, uh, Scott that had to have that talk with me. I mean, he had lost his dad to a suicide years before. Like if there was anybody I could have confided in, it would have been him, but it was just, mm -hmm. it was this, this, you know, we, we were so close in some ways, but there's just this, this bar barrier between us guys, like really mm -hmm. talking about what was important, right? We just go slug it out with our hammers every day and right. and our nail guns and. Well, I think that you know, like, and it's nice to see like that the culture is shifting a little bit yeah. where guys, you know, can feel that they can still be strong and tough and talk about their feelings and what they're actually going through. Yeah. But like when when where we're growing up, like, and that really wasn't the case. No. You know, just for all guys, especially for guys in the trades. Yeah. You know, that's just um, you know, me growing up as a hockey player is the same thing. You don't you don't talk about your feelings. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're doing if you're doing bad, you're just gonna get razzed if you, totally. if you bring it up. If you're crying, you're a pussy, you know. Yeah, yeah right. It's really that yeah. that's that was the, the culture and it still is ingrained, but yeah definitely more pronounced back then so yeah she had no one to talk to about it and, nobody and, and i'm uh, assuming the, the the drinking became becomes that coping mechanism totally. and, uh, right yeah and the drugs came into my life and um and uh, and it ended up i uh, so i had this beautiful uh, three four-year-old girl uh, my oldest daughter caitlin and um i ended up uh you know my behavior while drinking was terrible um it was dangerous um you know, I took a lot more risks and challenge and driving was was one of them. And uh, and I ended up uh, embarrassing myself. I parked my 
I had uh, overshot my parking spot with my truck uh, when she's on my way home. And, it, you know, my life it had become, uh, you know, Tuesday night wing night until 9, and then it was Tuesday night wing night until midnight, and it was Tuesday night wing night, and then Thursday for no reason until midnight. Mm-hmm. And then it was Thursday night. Maybe I went straight to work from wherever we were the night before to work all day, and then maybe I came home Saturday morning. You're right, mm-hmm. so... It was really work hard, play hard, and um, it was all the same guys. I mean, we just worked together, we partied together, and that was the way it went. And and uh, and every every morning, weekend, wherever it was, just taping back the remnants of our relationships, and uh, and and trying to be there for our children. Like it was, you know, uh, I, f- I used to feel bad about my situation, but actually, we were all in it together. So, right. you know, and uh, and my daughter uh, unfortunately found me passed out, and uh, the truck was door open parked on the lawn and uh i was i just looked behind me and she just she's waking me up she wanted a bowl of cereal and um that was the last time i that was the last time i drank oh wow so that's over 20 years ago 25 years ago um i decided like i'm done i can't do this anymore right. and so i like it was no meetings it was no rehab there's no nothing i quit drinking right and this plays into my story a bunch later because uh because the drugs, the drugs were there, and you know, I always thought they were different um, because um, my behavior was different, right? And they were more manageable. Okay. And by and large, my days, my day, my morning afters of having doing the drug, doing drugs, uh, weren't as nearly as bad they, as my hangovers from drinking. Yeah. yeah, looked very different. Yeah, they almost looked <laughs> more productive. Right. Actually, right, yeah, fair yeah. enough. And it was almost for many, many years, it almost was like, well, this is, uh, you know, how I blow off steam, but it also was like, oh, it keeps me motivated and, right. you know, and things like that. And so it's manageable, it's a tool. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's, that's, it's, uh, it's a powerful disease because it'll tell you all kinds of shit you want to hear. And, right. um, and I felt good. That was the thing. So here I am. I'm a workaholic. I'm busting my ass. Um, all I really had was the drugs and all the other. Like, come on. Like, when I went to rehab, I thought I was going to quit drinking drugs. And then I just became, my eyes got opened up to to all my addictions. And so back then it would have been drinking, you know, drinking. And then drinking was gone. And then it was shiny stuff in my truck. And um, spending money I didn't have on, um, God, just dates. Like, Right. drinks and dates and uh and women and sex and you right. name it like it was everything if it made me feel good right. including food and then it became steroids and the gym and okay, like yeah. it was so ridiculous you're, you're filling you're filling that that oh. void with whatever else you could so so it wasn't alcohol because yeah. that was the most right. pronounced right so you could put that one aside and think yeah. okay i'm doing okay now all right everything's just manageable. filled in with yeah. the drugs and everything else forget about the fact i got no money in my savings account i mean it could right. like a construction boom in calgary and my yeah. money's going out as fast as it's coming in right. sometimes faster yeah. and uh and i think well, I, well i'm doing all right though because i feel good i'm getting ahead i'm getting promotions i'm mm-hmm. I'm doing really well. My kid's thriving. You know, we were separated, but I'm getting my time with my kid and, and all this. Anyways, so, uh, yeah, I mean, on the appearance, on the outside, it looks really different. On the inside, though, uh, you know, there's obviously something I'm trying to, you know, make up for, something, some darkness that's, that's, uh, that's there, a big void, like you said. So trying to, you know, fill in a, an excavation with a, with a teaspoon, right? right. And so... 
Um, so flash forward, I, uh, I blew my back out uh, when I was about 30. Had to have um, uh, had my L5S1 fused. Um, uh, managed to avoid uh, serious painkillers, but painkillers became a uh, a way of coping with that, but I did. I had at the time. I got you know. Sometimes you get saved by circumstance. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I had a young man on my crew that was struggling with opioid addiction, and um, and uh, he had been kicked out of his parents' place, and he was li- uh, living with me in my basement. And and at that time, I had my own company. Um, uh, and uh, by this time, I had my own company, and uh, he was working with me. And you know, some of the conversations I had with him were, was just like, you know, like I could quit doing everything right now, but I can't quit these O80s. Like I just, right. I can't get, you know, and he was just hooked on them. And, and he said, you know, he kept going to rehab and coming out. So this whole time I, I've got my own, my own right. dark side and, and I'm watching him. So, I mean, I, I know, I remember waking up from surgery, this little nurse offering me morphine. And I was like, I don't want it. I don't right. want it. And so you had this tangible reason yeah to like, kind of like right there like i don't want right. i don't want that don't, any, like, right yeah no because i can manage all this other shit right yeah, yeah right right totally different right. not at all yeah but, <laughs> yeah you know so uh so yeah so i did that and then uh, i eventually moved back to bc uh i needed to slow down man i was tired of working six seven days a week and um and then i would say you know looking back um you know there was a there was a reason I think I was able to walk away from alcohol when I did. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a real, and I didn't know this then, but looking back, I think there's a, a real re- reason, a real argument for my, the deterioration of my mental health okay. and having had things build up so long that, you know, I think it just makes me a firm believer that there's more to addiction than just the substance, right? right? That yeah. whole, that, that darkness inside of me had, had been unquenched, had been a quenchable thirst for everything that would change my my mood. I didn't know I was, I wouldn't have been aware at the time that I was mood altering, but there's definitely some self-esteem and some external, I mean, I was, it was obvious to me that I needed all this stuff to feel good about myself. Sure. And so, you know, and the, and the culture and the industry was, you know, just, I kept getting treated better. The more I showed up and the more I got done and the more I produced, that's all the industry asked of me. That's right. And they rewarded it very well. Um, so I had moved back here. I met this girl, uh, who's just, um, beautiful and such a, uh, a calm and just well-adjusted person and not for lack of her own anxieties, but she really took ownership over that. It was like, um, she had no expectation of me to entertain her. She had no expectation of me. Like there was just no drama in our life. Right. And, um, I really started to feel like, oh, wow. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to re- receive that. I didn't know right. how to be in that relationship. Uh, I wasn't a good person. I didn't live. I wasn't a good partner, and um, and I knew it. And and then I started getting this narrative in my mind that, you know, um, like I'm broken and I'm unlovable for people that that I really love, like who I want to be with, right. like the type of relationship I want to have. I'm underqualified. You don't have right. And I don't deserve it, right? right. So uh, we were engaged, and then I I broke up with her, um, and then. Um, so a few things were happening right at the same time. Looking back to the clarity of my recovery, I can see that I was literally, I was seriously having a mental breakdown. Like right. I was, you know, the drugs were getting carried away. I was starting to see failure at work. Uh, I was, ma- I was making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know it was the drugs. Like it was obvious right. it was the drugs. Right. But, but when you're in the throes of it, that's, no, that's I'm just like thinking about it. And yeah. it just took me back to the same feeling I had when I was in elementary school. Okay. Like I'm worthless. Uh, I've been cheating. Like I, 
Uh, if anybody knew who I really was, like I got lucky to get this far in my career. Right. I can't believe they keep giving me responsibility. And they kept giving me more and more and more and more. And I was just burying myself in it. I couldn't say no to anybody. I had no boundaries. I, um, cause I felt like the minute I said no, I was confirming everything I believed about myself. Right. You know, so it was terrible. And, um, and anyway, so I, uh, I like in a course of like a month, I broke things off of my fiance out of the blue. She never saw it coming at all. Like right. not even a hint. Um, and, uh, and she moved out right away. Just the grace and class she had was just like, like it was just unbelievable. Like that itself made me feel worse. Like I was like, Oh my God, like just confirmed how great she was. Right. Cause I told myself I'm going to destroy this at some point. Better do it now, right? So and it's just the self-sabotage, totally. basically. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then I quit my job. Um, I spent uh, about a year and a half, so this is about 12 years ago. I spent about a year and a half, so uh, not sober, sorry, a year and a half single. And just, yeah, my life had become, got very unpredictable. Right. And I, it was just a constant escalation. I was living like a child, really. Like, mm-hmm. um, no inhibition. Like, the more danger, the better. Okay. Just totally reckless. Um, I was maintaining my job okay. Uh, I met this uh, this other woman, um, and then it was like we were, you know, it was like meeting a female version of me. We were just at both in the same headspace, okay. and uh, and that became a drug in itself, right? We had no, there was no supervisor in the room, right. no, and no off we went. Conscientious objector. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. No, it was <laughs> right. like, oh, let's do this, okay. Let's go. Right, yeah. And uh, everything just escalated, man, and it was. Um, you know, uh, unbelievable time of my life. I don't know how I survived it, honestly, um, especially in the, um, it wasn't even the beginning. It was like we were into opioid pandemic and toxic drug supply and all that. I, I have no, you know, um, no shortage of things that I'm grateful for in my life now, right? And, right. Uh, and like, I survived myself. Like, for, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, forget about the pandemic and, and right. opioids and all that, like at the at the root of it, I survived my me and my own behavior and my right. own, Your own mental self health. destruction. Yeah. yeah, right. And so um, that just got so out of control. And um, at this point, my drug use had become very separate from work life. I mean, it hadn't really been included in work life ever. In that, I was always very aware that I was in leadership roles, and I worked very hard to keep sort of that side of my life very quiet okay. not that there wasn't a few people uh over the years that weren't involved in it but they were people i could trust and and you know the people you can trust when you're you know carrying that kind of baggage is you know i was very aware that it was slim to none right so as much as i appreciated the people i had around me you know it wasn't always demonstrated that people could keep your secrets right and so um you know at this point though it was like a there was a brick wall between uh, me away from site and me on site and other than my condition that I was showing up in for work, which was troubling, was really hard to keep up because most people I worked with knew I quit drinking 25 years ago. So there would be no other reason. Right. Like if you were looking out of sorts or hung over, you know, it was, uh, it would have been terrible. So for me, the consequences are too many questions, right? So mm-hmm. So in uh, 2018, January 2018, so the f- summer of 2017, I broke it off with a girl thinking I got to do less drugs and get out of this lifestyle. And right. I thought that would fix the problem. Right. Um, 
what I found out is everywhere I went, my drug problem was right there with me. Right. And so flash forward, trying to quit, trying to quit. I had this summer, this, uh, this Christmas off to be with my family. I had done a reasonably good job of not using with my, around my family. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go and, um, spend Christmas with my mom and, and family. And, uh, and, uh, and I'll get two weeks clear and then I'll be laughing. Right. Good deal. So I had this whole plan. I had so many plans. It started and failed, right? Like to, right. to quit because I was trying to do it alone. And right. You don't want to talk to anybody about it. You don't yeah. want to reach out for that help, but no. I'm going to sort it out. Yeah. I didn't want people to know, right? Yeah. Like I was known right. as sort of being unbreakable and right. had this image. Like a lot of people um, uh, know me as a bit of a tough guy. Like throw mm-hmm. me in. I'll get it done. I'll show right. up. I'll do it. And and um, and I was proud of that. It was part of my identity, right? So mm-hmm. having to admit failure like that not only was admitting to people publicly, which – it was terrifying, but it was also admitting to myself that I was broken and I was like beyond repair, right. which I'd kind of at that time. So uh, that New Year, that New Year's I was supposed to spend. I, I went dry all through Christmas. Uh, that New Year's Eve, it was supposed to be me and my mom uh, just hanging out. I was looking forward to it. Um, and I said, oh, Mom, I'm going to run into Duncan and grab some, uh, grab some ice cream. Um, you want some? And she's like, no, I'm good. And I'm like, I got halfway into town. I had my dealer on the line and I picked up, <clears throat> I spent the next few days in a, in a friend of mine's, uh, empty house uh, by myself. Didn't call my mom or nothing, man. That was it. I was wow. just off the radar. Yeah. And then, uh, and, uh, that was like, my life, it got pretty, the pattern of like using benzos during the day to get through the day. Um, and then about three, four in the afternoon, starting into the Coke. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I got in the door, um, the ketamine, and then all night, maybe two hours in a cold shower and start the benzos again. again. Right. Like that was my life at that point. But it was like, it was dark. Like I remember being dark, but that, that missing that New Year's Eve was of like a platonic shift. Right. Like it was huge for me. Um, and it was, it would have been about. Like between that summer of seventeen and that that New Year's of of seventeen would have been when I saw Terry's video, and that was like, you know, so I was kind of just riding that and, and thinking, man, if I can beat this, still thinking it was a solo job, right? Right. Solo mission. Um, but I get, I came home and I just looked at my mom. My fucking nose is bleeding. I'm just like beat up, dude. Like I There's was no brushing it under the rug anymore no. at this point. And I was honest yeah. with my mom, and you know, like. Yeah, she was shocked. She was absolutely, I mean, I'm sure for everybody involved uh, that knew me, a lot of things, there was a lot of, like, things that started to make sense about mm-hmm. the last few years. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, in that moment, she had no idea. And I think that doesn't help family members because they feel like they know you and love you like nobody else does. Right. And to have something that big. It's like the rugs just pulled out from under Yeah, them, they're like, I fucking door. thought I knew this. You know, yeah. like, and they, I think... From my mom's point of view, it just felt like she wasn't there for me or, you know, parents right. take responsibility for the way our kids feel and yeah. how they show up in their life. But I, you know, it'd been my whole adult life. I'd been keeping a lot of these feelings from everybody. Mm-hmm. So, so I told my mom I was, uh, I was an addict and I needed to get help. And, uh, on that same day I sent out this, um, and it's such a, I share it because it's such a critical part of my story. It's like, and she deserves all the credit she gets, um, I can give her. 
uh, I sent this message uh, to my my ex fiance and said uh, it was the first time I've been honest with myself even, mm. and it was this tremendously long message that just said, like basically I'm I'm an addict. I don't know if this is your number. I don't even know if it's appropriate to text you, and I just feel like I got to get this off my chest. And you know, and in breaking up with her those many years ago, I really felt like I was doing her a favor, but I knew I was taking a hit. Right? Mm. Like I knew she was incredible, and then I just spent the last seven years of my life just ignoring, you know, like right. trying to forget about it or right. tell myself it was the right decision. And, you know, not even my family was convinced, right? You know, you sometimes mm-hmm. break up with those people or family are like, hey, can we keep her? You right. know, yeah, like, exactly. You know, <laughs> they don't want to break up. Yeah. No, yeah, they're, <laughs> right. and they were like, there's, you know, right. yeah. looking back though, at that time of my life, I was, I was just, just, just on a path to destruction. Um, yeah. The, the set of shoes I'd been building for myself just didn't they gave, fit on my feet. Like, I just couldn't get them on anymore. They're too big. I was tripping over them. Right. And so um, so I got this message back for her that just said this. Uh, she said, oh, my God, who have you been? Who, who's been taking care of you? This is now I left you. Like, just like, to me, those are the kindest words I'd ever heard, right? right. And um, and so she, we obviously started talking, and, um, and uh, I managed to, well, my mom took me to my doctor. We saw a doctor. I was very honest with him. And, and he said, uh, look, you know, I think depression, anxiety are a big part of your story. And, right. and well, let's try and get, let's, you know, I don't think you're at rehab yet. I think you're, um, let's get a handle on this, on this depression, anxiety. So they started medicating me. I'm an addict and somebody, a doctor, a professional just told me re- rehabs, right. you yeah. know, I'm like, perfect. I saw a counselor. Um, I don't know like a few times mm-hmm. I made it up. I'd been talking to my ex, um, I'll name her by name hung. And, um, I'd been talking to my, my ex, uh, and on a friendly level and seeing this and I managed to get 30 days clean okay. and, uh, and then relapsed. Cause I thought I started getting these drugs in me, the antidepressants and stuff. And they told me this is my addict mind, right? The doctor tells me these take about two weeks to kick in and start to really help you. And, and you should notice, uh, you know, the lows aren't as low. And, and I had noticed that. I'm also mm-hmm. sober for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, like, starting to notice this. And uh, and I'm like, okay, so two weeks. And now if the depression, anxiety, or I should be able to use just fine. Right. Yeah. Right. So I got about 30 days clean and then um, relapsed, immediately knew that I was fucked. Right. Like, just immediately. That like, was, yeah. Yeah. I'm salivating, picking up, right? Like, right. I'm just like, oh, my God. And, um, like, before I even did my first rip, I was like, I'm, I'm in a really tough yeah, state bad, here. By the way, yeah. Uh, and so uh, I st- started lying about it. Me and um, me and Hung had, uh, we were still living, we, we, from, we were still living very separate lives and just friends and, you know, obviously it hurt her badly and, and there was a lot of trust and challenges. So she wasn't super excited Hmm. to uh to to um be exploring too much other than talking and and i think for her she was more at that time just looking for closure on and understanding of what had what gone actually on. happened yeah and and maybe uh, uh she loves me and i think she just had a curiosity of like she didn't want to i think maybe to even some codependent state just didn't want to walk away from me in that condition so right. so it, was, it made it very easy to start lying because we weren't right around each other every day um when I when I came clean on January, I think it was January third, about uh, to my mom and stuff. I also called my boss at the time and said, "Look, I'm I've been diagnosed with depression, and anxiety, <clears throat> and I need to get a handle on this. I'm in no condition to work. My doctor's telling me to take time off, so I did that. So now I'm I'm off work. 
Um, I got about 30 days clean, relapsed. I'm using again, and the phone rings, and it's Hero HeroWorks doing a doing this um, uh, doing this uh, this get together to show off their projects for the year. So, flashback 2017, I brought out just an incredible amount of of carpenters and skilled trades to to volunteer at HeroWorks. So, and it was very rewarding. I was in no condition. Um, but it was sick. I was just again trying to, you know, I've I've been a long time volunteer my whole life for various organizations. Um, notably, I've I've built like forty eight homes with Habitat for Humanity in Calgary. Um, I love doing it. it. Made me feel great, and I love giving back to the community. That's the way I was raised. But I was like, in that moment, I was looking for things to change in my life in two thousand seventeen, and yeah. really trying to like change, you know, change everything on the outside. Yeah. Right. And being around the volunteers and. And the people at Hero Work really made me feel different and valued and good, and and so I wanted more of that. So I went to this thing uh, with Hero Work in 2018 in March, and uh, Paul and um, and uh, then project manager Peter, they they were like, the money's you're not gonna like the money, but we'd love to have you come full time. And I was like, okay. I was like, I'll take it. They, right. You want to know how much it co it's gonna be? I was like. No, just this I'm, is I'm done. I'm vocational coming. work is yeah. yeah. This is right? right. Yeah, this is like uh, so. I took the job, and in May, I or April, yeah, about May, I started in 2018 as a trade uh, trade manager, and um, yeah, I thought it was going to solve all my problems. It did not, and also I would say, looking back, it actually made it way worse because now I couldn't quit doing drugs. I knew. You know, I put all the volunteers for Hero Work and everybody surrounding and these charities, and including Terry and everybody on this pedestal, right? Right. And uh, and just really looked up to them and admired them. And now I'm like, oh, if they, you know, made if it worse. They knew, right. Yeah, yeah, if they right. really knew, I'm such a yeah. fraud. And right. So we uh, do a couple projects. <clears throat> We're just planning uh, one for our place, the Therapeutic Community, their right. new roads. Yeah. We're planning this thing. We're going to turn a prison into a... A recovery home for for men coming out of corrections and off the street and and uh and i was into it man but uh it was on point man like i was like this is like i should be here and they had like about 10 guys living there at the time mm -hmm. and i'm talking and interacting with them to with them every day and i'm hearing things like you know oh you you it's really inspiring what you guys do and thank you for being here and really putting me on a pedestal and i'm right. like i'm a fraud dude right and i'm looking so at these like guys right, right in your face yeah and, right okay. and i'm like these guys are doing the work they're like, actually putting in the time volunteering <laughs> right. to live there for 18 months yeah to get their shit together yeah and i'm i was so inspired by them it was like i felt like a big piece of shit right honestly right. Like, mm -hmm. It was just confirming to me all the bad shit I'd ever said about myself. So I ended up getting a couple days off to, uh, or a week off to do a first aid course. And, um, and I think at that point, all it was keeping me together was going to work every day with people. So I had to like clean myself up in the morning. I had some boundaries on some things that I was just barely clinging to, but I was in rough shape and I was starting to miss days and, and it was ugly. <clears throat> but I was showing up and uh, and I got two days into this first aid course and I was absolutely capacitated. So this would have been March 6, 2019. And um, I couldn't move. Like I couldn't leave my mom's basement because um, that's where I, you know, it come to. Um, um, yeah, I was done, man. Mm -hmm. And the next thing, this is this is the, the turning point for me is uh, March, March 6, 2019, I was... Um, you know, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say something really strong here, and, and I, I say it because I, I want people to know 
but it's a reality for me and for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a powerful statement. And I realize it's it's hard for so many people to hear. But I I've thought about suicide um, frequently in my life, and I still continue to. It's just a reality of how I'm programmed. Right. Um, I love that I can talk about it and I can share it. Um, but, you know, sometimes in my life, I just, I'm, I can't enjoy all the good stuff. Right. I just, um, it just seems like it's going to be taken away or why bother? Because, you know, so my mind has a really hard time, you know, over analyzes everything, even good stuff. I have to think about so many times. And so, you know, the, the good, the good, the good thing is I can admit that freely. I'm not going to disappear. And, and I, I have people I talk to about it, but, um, when I hear about, a a celebrity, a famous celebrity, or somebody um, checking out. Um, people are so confused. I'm like, I, I get, I get it. it. I totally get it. Right. You know, like everything is a lot of thinking for me. So, but at this time, so, you know, that thought comes and goes in my life, and <clears throat> sometimes it's daily, and sometimes, well, on that March 6th, I had never been co- so confident. Like, right. I, it's really the impossible for me to put put words to. I was deadly confident. That morning, that it was my last morning, and uh, I was done. Um, I uh, I was waiting for my mom to go to work, and I was gonna back my jeep into a garage, and that was gonna be the end of it. <clears throat> and um, and the difference in the feel, like I was just like, there was like almost a sense of calm that had come over me at that moment. Like I was just, I just knew it was over. I was done. Right. And it's like. Yeah, you tell people that, and you, they're just like, oh, it's really tough. But they don't, like, no, inside, it was, like, a certainty. And so uh, somewhere in that morning, and so I'll tell you, like, I want to tell you some heroic story about how I turn things around and stuff like that, but I'll tell you this, it, and um, this is what it is. I'm a very vain person. And in that moment, oh, my whole identity was wrapped up in my work ethic and how I got things done, how I was a tough guy and how I showed up and solved challenges and problems and all that stuff. And so in that moment, yeah, I want to tell you, like my mom finding my, my body was like the biggest thing, but it wasn't, it was there, it was on the list, but I'll tell you the, the resounding thought that got me was they're going to, somebody's going to find my body, my, my mom, um, Everybody's going to find out that I commit suicide and I had all these challenges. And they're just going to be, A, shocked because they didn't know. And, B, they're, they're going to think I didn't fight. Right. It's just vanity, man. Right. They're just going to think I didn't, I didn't try. Right. And I couldn't stand that thought. And I was like, oh, what does it look like to be a guy that doesn't work hard? <laughs> I can't be that guy. And um, so I didn't know, honestly, you know, because I had 30 days clean. Right. And I thought that's what that's what it feels like to be sober. I was like, I so I knew what that felt like, and I, I assumed that's what being free from drugs would feel like. And I was like, there's no way I can't live life because yeah. I'm broken. Right, like and other you're, people. You're do looking it. at that at that wall on that other side, totally. and it's just way too terrifying. In to, my mind, I saw it. I yeah. saw it just in January. Yeah. I was like, I you saw got the it, glimpse it, of it, and it didn't yeah. look good. Right. Um, so I, I just was like, you know what, though, if I go to rehab and I fail, I can kill myself anytime. Let's be honest. <clears throat> That's always going to be there. Uh, there's always going to be more drugs. We know that. Uh, so, you know, I'll go to rehab. I'll, do, I'll work my ass off. That's the one good decision I made and I always continue to make. It's like I'll go work my, my tail off, but, um, 
you know, worst case, I can I can take my life anytime, and uh, or I can go back to the drugs and OD or whatever that looks like. And people at least they'll have this hero's journey. Mm-hmm. You know, like so oh, you had, you had to give it a shot. You had to see yeah, it through. He really, he was really right. trying hard and working through this. Right. And so uh, I woke my mom up, and I was in treatment the next day, uh, um, March seventh, two thousand nineteen. By two two p.m., I checked in, which is a miracle wow. on its own. Yeah. Because I was checking yeah, into Cedars with people that had been on a waiting list for like three months. Months, yeah. And I guess like, you know, if you haven't been to treatment, if you have been to treatment, you'll understand this. You can get a few bad eggs in a, in a treatment center and it can turn the, the the society within those borders. It doesn't take much. Totally right. haywire. Yeah, absolutely. And so there was a few, before I got there, there was a few bad eggs and uh, it turned the place. I, I always joke, I call it Lord of the Flies, but like, mm-hmm. There was people breaking into lockers, and it just was a bad scene, and yep. they purged. They had to kick 19 people out of treatment, the di- like, the week before. So when I called... It was perfect timing. It smoked right in there, man. Yeah. And, uh, and hey, uh, the privilege I have in my life, my mom had 30K that right. she could pull to get access to to get me in and pay for my treatment, right? Right. So we talk about recovery. It's, you know, it's not even for everybody, and I want to respect yeah. that when I'm talking. is like sure. my story has a lot of luck and a lot of privilege, and... Mm-hmm. Um, that other people don't have access to. And yeah. I just want to be respectful of that when I, when I talk about it. Right. Um, but I got into treatment and, uh, and it was around week four, um, week four, something started to stick with me. Um, I was hitting that 30 day mark clean. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm talking about things. I'm not even talking about drugs. I'm in right. counseling and these group therapies and I'm talking with other men and talking to my counselors and getting feedback from women and like, there's something going on here. Like I was, right. you know, like a lot of addicts, I was, I'm, I've been really into myself and the way I was feeling for a long time. Right. And so I'm starting to feel different and have these conversations that were actually really meaningful to me and seeing some stuff. And I've always been good at like taking what professionals or people I admire, like what they say and saying, yeah, okay, well, he's a professional right. or she's a professional. Sure. So I can take this on. So like I've got professionals telling me how things actually work, and I'm, I was very open, and the surrender was huge with me. Right. And so, uh, so yeah, I did sixty days in Cedars, changed my life. Um, went there to quit doing drugs, and I went there to become very aware of who I was as a, right. as an addict, um, right. and and of these addictive, obsessive patterns in my life, and this endless need for external validation and I ended up working on all this stuff around when I was a kid and the way I was treated and how it made me feel and and just to get in touch with my feelings and going from basically being completely emotionally illiterate to you know having at least a kindergarten to grade one level right understanding of feelings you opened a door to a to a different aspect right and that's always you know for me that's the part of recovery it's yeah and treatment is it's not just going to the richest it's not just like an extended detox no right it's a deep dive into who you are as a person totally and and what got you here and and what makes you tick right you know and that's 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 hard work totally that's incredibly hard work but it was the hardest the most rewarding work I've ever done in my life. Right. And I'm a guy that's doing a lot of hard work. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's kind that's of my MO. Something. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, but I got more out of that than I, I had, of, you know, any other experience in my life at that point. Uh, mm-hmm. I was able to connect with my kids and I just honestly start being honest about who I am um, in a way that didn't, you know, the shame part is a hard thing to get over, but um, I'd say I'm 99% of the way there. Mm-hmm. And that journey all started there. But, you know, honestly, 
one of the biggest shifts too was uh, not just get in touch with those feelings and figure out that what happened to me wasn't fair and I didn't deserve that and I shouldn't make excuses for it. Right. Um, but just accepted myself for who I am. And there was a, a shift, I'd say, in the year, maybe two years following rehab, uh, um, where I just was like, something came over. It was like, you know, I'm fucking done, man. I'm done. I'm done trying to change who I am or just act a certain way or say the right thing or I'm just going to be me. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know what? My life, a lot of recovery was growth, like growth mindset. Uh, in the beginning, it was this like real thirst for I'm going to change. I'm going to find out more. And, and the last two years of my recovery has really become about acceptance mindset. Like right. let growth be a byproduct. Let growth be the thing that happens because I understand and accept myself for who I am. Right. And that has been a game changer for me and, uh, and bring in, you know, the, the 12 step fellowships have been important to me, right. but there's also this place in my life for, um, for, for Buddhism and, and stuff like that. And you know what, that's all it speaks to is the, the absence of, of spirituality in my life. Right. And as a young man, I couldn't separate religion from spirituality. I think this is a common, this is a common totally. aversion, right? Is, yeah. is as soon as you talk spirituality, you're thinking the institution and yeah. the religion, which I mean, a lot of people, are, you know, rightfully so are not going to be into, you know, there's and, a lot but, of, a lot of men, a lot of people in construction with trauma and a lot yeah. of, and a lot of times that comes from religion. Right. And so, you know, for me, it was really like, uh, you know what? I didn't feel qualified. I mean, yeah. mo for a lot of us in construction are the only thing we believe in is, uh, the pack of smokes a day and, right. and yeah. the coffee yeah. in the morning. Right. right. And, uh, and hard work. Right. And so, um, you know, for me, finding out that, Hey, you know what? I'm qualified to believe in something. Yeah. I'm, I'm qualified to believe in taking care of myself actually, yeah. you and know, myself, right. Yeah. 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 And investing in my mental health and, uh, and, and my positive outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, the last two years has really been finding just really been finding a place of stillness in my life right. and accepting that. Um, and I got my girl back and, uh, yeah, hung and, and so she, when I went to rehab, she said, I'll do this with you once. Wow. She said, I'll do this with you once. She had no idea what she's getting herself into. Um, right. but the feedback I get from her is like, it's hard for her to regret what I've been through because, um, she's, she says, you're not even the same guy you were when we first met and I was engaged right. to you. Right. And so uh, I'm proud of that. Right. Yeah. And, um, and some people have asked her like, why? Like, why would you, why would you take him back after all that? And he wasn't a great boyfriend to begin with. And she mm -hmm. said, he does the work. Like, you right. know, how can you trust him? He does the work. Like right. she sees it. And so, and, and I, I do the work for myself, you right. know, like I get, I get something out of it. Um, and, uh, and it gives me an opportunity to, to, you know, I wasn't alone. I wasn't the only one, the only person that looked like me in the same circumstance. Sadly, I lost a guy in 2000, uh, 2016, um, who, you know, the regret in me says that it would have been a different outcome for him if I had shared where I was at, but I couldn't because I was his, I was his construction boss and his, his foreman, yeah. superintendent, and, uh, and I had to let him go because he was unsafe. I told him, come back as soon as you can get your stuff together. I was like, and if there's anything you want to talk to me about, mm -hmm. I bet you I'd be more open to hearing about it, you right. know, and I couldn't share my thing, and he... He left that day. He sent me a beautiful message about three days later and five days after that, they found him dead of an overdose or suicide. They don't know which one. Right. So, right. um, 
Yeah, so, you know, I've seen both sides of it, man. The construction industry, is a, it's a tough place, and I'm proud of how, how tough I worked and how tough I can be. Right. But, uh, but I think, you know, what I see now is that culture is just not, it's not helpful. It's right. not helpful for men to be healthy. And, and I'm seeing a shift in the industry now where we got young people coming into it who, you know, they don't want to give what, they, what we gave right. for good reason. And why would they? Yeah. Like looking back now, I'm like, I, I hate that. I, like I used to be really proud I blew my back at 30 years old. Right. Yeah. First I felt now old. Looking, right. And then I found out it was like the, the most common age that men in construction blow their backs. Right. And then I was like, okay, I paid, I cashed that check. You know, I paid those dues. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm like, oh, why did yeah. I not take care of myself? Right. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I see young people in, but that's getting translated weird on, weird on job sites because now I'm hearing, you know, these young kids don't want to work. work. And they, right. You know, but it's not that, man. They, they don't want to work like you did. Right. And you should be, you know, we have to take our lumps and not like – we don't need to pass it downhill. At some point, it's got we got to be we got to want better for the people who come in. Right. Yeah. But the challenge is, if I'm being empathetic and trying to see everybody's angle, is these old guys, they don't they're not going to go to another industry. Right. You know, guys my age, they're not going to uh, train to be a, an accountant all of a sudden. Right. You're you're in yeah. your line, yeah. You know, so they're in an industry that's changing in front of them, and they don't feel. A lot of guys I talk to, <clears throat> they don't feel welcome anymore. I don't feel like it's familiar. They're scared. They, the language is changing. The sense of humor on job sites is changing. Right. The whole culture is starting to change. And I think it needs to change. I'm 100% yeah. for that. But I can't not feel bad for some for of the, the guys my age. Like they're, you know, they're, they don't have a backup plan. Right. You know. So with this culture shift that, that is, you know, starting to happen, and we do see that, you know, there's more attention now given to, you know, substance use supports and trades. A lot of that is, you know, statistically, yeah. there's the overdose rates and, and you know, guys uh, in the trades is, mm-hmm. is completely disproportionate. What what are your thoughts? Like, what needs to continue to happen? You know, and I know there's some initiatives now that are starting to come out. I, I know we've just come out with a, yeah. with a new uh, outreach team specifically for outreach workers. I think the challenge that, that we're going to see and that, that I see in, in, you know, just kind of being part of the uh, Vancouver Island Construction Association, yeah. their attempt to, to do something about it, um, there still seems to be a bit of a disconnect between this culture and this yeah. kind of ingrained and the people on the ground that are actually doing the work yeah. and then the supervisors um, and, and also just um, how, to, how to access this support but still maintain your job. Yeah. I think there's so many people that are worried to, hey, if I step out and, you know, for one, my role on the site might be impacted, yeah. uh, my reputation might be impacted, um, you know, and there is also, too, this bottom line still with the trades where yeah. I got to get the job done and you show up and, like you say, you put in the work. Yeah. And h- how do you start breaking that down? How do you get people starting to talk from this culture that is yeah. really not – they're not used to talking about shit and yeah, dealing yeah. with their problems and No, it's a, it's, a, it's right? a challenge. And I think, you know, I think what I loved was I, you know, I, I had the opportunity to, to – uh, be with Vancouver Island Construction Association when they started the tailgate toolkit and mm-hmm. and really respected what that was, which was an opportunity to 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 change the dialogue, change the conversation on the job sites, and train people for something better. And then uh, just just recently, be sitting down with Alex and your team here at Umbrella to talk about the outreach supports and the actual like nuts and bolts or the rubber mm-hmm. meets the road, which is the counseling opportunities and the uh, the the um, the the uh, hammer time um, support group for men in construction. Like 
that's you know we want to change the dialogue but you want to start increasing the amount of supports and start normalizing it right right like i'm sick my back's gone i gotta go get surgery i'm gonna be off for six months mm. that's a back injury yeah. you know yeah. you'll be hailed as a hero when you come back right right so uh but what i see is you know what i gotta say to to, to guys in the trades that might be using um mm. Look, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, that guy's a pussy, he couldn't handle his shit, well, then I'm not speaking to you. You obviously are doing okay. Right. Carry on. Right. Uh, but if you're not that guy or you're hanging out with that guy and you're feeling weak and, like, something's wrong and, and you're, not, you're not making it, you know, just it's getting harder yeah. and you've tried and you can't quit, you're not broken, man. That shit's just got you. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to get clean on your own. And if you're worried about losing your job, I'll just, all I say is, and, I, and honestly, I made this mistake myself. What's your life worth to you? Right. What comes There's first? other jobs. There's other yeah. jobs. And I know plenty of employers now that are ahead of this yeah. and are saying, like, you got clean, we'll give you a chance. Right. Right? Yeah. You're struggling. You're we'll not give you the time away. Right. No, yeah. you're not blacklisted. Right. I, look, 99% of the fears I had that kept me from getting help mm. were bullshit things I made up in my mind. Right. Right. That's the reality. Yeah. Have I lost some acquaintances and friends since I got clean? Yeah. Are there some people, some employers probably past that are like, feel a little let down? For sure. And that's mm -hmm. their right. Mm -hmm. And they are, they're entitled to that. I let them down. That's on me. Yeah. But I'll tell you, and I'm going to brag for a minute, but this is the reality of recovery for me. I am a 20-some-odd-year journeyperson, carpenter, superintendent. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have any. I don't know any addicts that are good at saving money. Right. My mom paid me for rehab. Yeah. Life for me in the end was uh, using, using almost $4,000 a month of, of substances, living her basement while she paid my bills because right. she thought I was paying off my credit cards. Mm -hmm. My life was a bullshit lie. So that's... And I was going to kill myself. I was done. So that's where you're coming from. Yeah. yeah, right. So that's that's where we started off. That's 2019. Since then, I've uh, I've got my my fiance back. My relationship with her is, is incredible. I've got my kids back in my mm -hmm. life. Um, uh, there are challenges there that we need to work through. Um, and but my kids are there for it. They're there right. to work through that with me. And it was something about me admitting where I was at that really right. I think let them off the hook. Right. Because you know you. Your kids, they wonder if it's their fault. Yeah. Like, why is dad always, where is dad? What's this doing? And You're I now think, at a place where you can actually address that. We can and, talk and about it. talk about it. My yeah. oldest daughter even flew in from Alberta to see me and, like, she came to the treatment center I was at. So, right. you know, and, and it's not all rosy and it's not all great, but, you know, I, I uh, came back to uh, Hero Work as a volunteer. I got my job back in August after leaving treatment and... The next year, I became project lead. I became executive director or GM mm -hmm. of the of the society here in Victoria. Basically, oh, took it over right. in January 2021. So you know, yeah. there's life out there. Right. There's life, and I um, I would say that if you were to ask a lot of trades who know me and and business owners and people in community uh, that are in the construction industry, I'm a well respected right. uh, person out there. And, and that's not bragging. That's just the no. reality of a guy that went to treatment, wasn't, and is continues to be an addict. Right. I mean, that's my reality. But, but you, I put still, it, you put in the work, right? I and put you, in the work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was hard. It was yeah. hard. But the, my life before I got clean was terrible. It was mm -hmm. terrible hard. And it didn't have, there was no positive outcome. Right. And right now, even if everything doesn't go right or doesn't go well, the success is a possibility. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was never going to be a possibility before. Right. Right. My life is calm. 
Um, I'm able to set boundaries. I'm able to say no to stuff. I'm still terrible at it. Let's be clear, but you know, <laughs> You're I, right? Yeah, They're... you know, I still find I still build some a lot of my more than I'm comfortable with of my identity around work and what I produce for others. Um, but look, I spent all my adult life and most of my childhood believing certain things. It's gonna take years and years and years for me to break the cycle and the negative patterns of of obsession and addiction are still in my life. I, I can spend money very spontaneously. I can, you know, with food is constantly a challenge for me to, to I've had to continually keep working on my diet and, and right. talking with counselors and working with my peers to try and find ways around these things. I can be very spontaneous and, and there's a, there's a healthy place for spontaneity, but there's also a place that I'm doing it just to feel good in the moment. I don't want to play the long game. Right. Yeah. And so, but there's awareness around it and I don't feel any shame around it anymore. You know what? I think that's exactly it is that, that awareness piece is huge, right? We all have stuff that we need to work on, yeah. but if we're aware of it, you know, that's where the real growth happens. And yeah, like you say too, that you can, you can do it without that, that shame mindset and yeah. that you can, you know, continue to build. Right. You know, I get, suffer, I suffer from the same affliction you, you and everybody else on the planet does is I'm human. Yeah. Right. And right. that's, it's complicated. Yeah. At the best of times. It's always a work in progress. It's always a work in progress. <laughs> I do my best. I, you get, yeah. I'm sitting here, you're going to get the best of me and I'm, I could come back and do this again tomorrow with you and you're going to get the best of me then. Mm. It might look very different though. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's always my best. Right. And my best isn't that great sometimes. Yeah. That's all right. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great, man. Well, listen, I, I mean, this is, this has been great. I, I, I'm loved having you come in. Um, like I said, I think your story is something that really, uh, you know, will resonate with people and, and definitely like, you know, is impactful. And I, I'm, really appreciative that you have the courage to talk about some of those hard things too because a lot of times there we kind of get the candy coated version and i don't know if that's overly helpful <laughs> so you know i i just appreciate how candid you can be about this and um you know and like i said i the impact you're making on the community with the work that you do through hero works i think is remarkable and i saw it you know i remember the first time i came to new i was at new roads before oh, yeah. the the, the renos and then yeah. afterwards holy man you know and uh, down at salvation army arc you yeah. know and just you know you take these tours of, of you know the work that you guys are doing and yeah. it's, it's remarkable you know and and yeah. just tell me about the the list of projects coming up it's like yeah. man you can, can continue to have this yeah. really big impact and it's got to be cool to kind of combine totally. uh, your work and your love for construction with the vocational side too and giving back to the community so i'd always wanted cool to have space. Uh, always i'd always wanted to have purpose like i always wanted to have a purpose and again mm -hmm. like spirituality i was like yeah. it's dramatic to have purpose but i always wanted to you know live like like a life like my father's of service community i just mm -hmm. always put these huge grandiose ideas to it of what that would be and then i would be like well i can't do that and and so now it's just like uh the the the, the purpose is just to impact community in a possible way every day right it doesn't matter whether it's buying somebody a coffee or some of the projects i get to be a part of with hero work um you know, Hero Works is an amazing organization that's done millions and millions of, like, oh, I think we're nearing $8 million worth of work in the community, uh, rebuilding right. local charities um, uh, since its inception. And it really is a privilege to be able to, to lead up this organization. The team is incredible, and I don't do half of it. I mean, we mm -hmm. had a 1,000 individual volunteers that show up to volunteer for us right. uh, every year. And I'll say, uh, you know, it was terrible to be around these people when I was, uh, before I got clean, right. as it really was a two-faced uh, thing. But the the uh, the open embrace and the um, the, enthousi uh, the enthusiasm I was greeted back to uh, the organization with uh, after going to rehab and having to, and doing some of the work and 
and some of the kindness that's been showed to me by those 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 thousands of volunteers uh, has just been remarkable, and it's been part of my story as well. And you know, I would say that anybody that's struggling right now, you know, um, my fear was that everybody would desert me and I'd be alone. Right. I think that's a a fear that a lot of people on the planet share, whether they're struggling with addiction or not. Um, I'd say that. Um, I, you, you, if you're struggling, have more cheerleaders than you think you do. And they're going to come out of the woodwork and some of them are total strangers and you're going to share your story or they're going to catch a, you know, overhear part of it. And they're, you're going to change their life. And, um, and that's the truth of it. So I say, if you're struggling, the sooner you reach out and ask for help and get a handle on this and get some tools to, 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 to bring some predictability to your life. Uh, and uh, get get these drugs out of your life because they're not mm-hmm. going to help anything. Mm-hmm. As soon as you get to that point, you're going to get busy. You, you just that's when you start helping people, yeah, and absolutely. saving lives. So do it. It's worth it. Awesome. Listen, thank you so much for coming in, brother. I really appreciate it, man. Okay, what a powerful story and message. Once again, thanks to Trevor for having the courage to come on and speak openly about some very personal and challenging issues. We are getting close to the end of our first season. And what an experience it has been for me personally to be a part of this cool new project. Uh, the stories and the experiences shared on this podcast have been very powerful, uh, very inspiring, and thought-provoking. Um, I am really looking forward to closing out the season with one more podcast, which will be coming out in two weeks' time. Until then, for Comfortably and Numb in the Umbrella Society, I am Blake Anderson. <laughs>